Welcome to Culture Crawl HCX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. So what I thought would be a good conversation for this podcast, especially as, uh, as we're getting some weeks past the, the initial unrest and that initial res- that emotional response of, of the police shootings, right? Um, I think in corporate America, at least what we found, what black people in corporate America found was that corporate America, uh, for the first time, right, at least in our short time span of being in as professionals, corporate America actually said, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. What can we do? Uh, but now, right, it's been, I don't know, two or three weeks, maybe even four by now. Uh, and there's still a push, I believe, uh, among individuals inside of organizations to make the traction stick. But I think from a marketing perspective, now that we are into July, we've passed the fourth, we are talking about COVID again, and the, and the primary conversation I think is around schooling and education. This, this concept of policing in America has lost some of its uh, steam. So Ismail, our guest, uh, is um, working, and I'll, I'll let you introduce it, but working on, on getting legislation top of mind, right, that, that continues to focus on what happens as a result of our police system when the police as state actors murder uh, uh, unarmed civilians. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Donald, for the invitation to, to speak with uh, Culture Crawl and your audience. Um, you touched on uh, a lot of the points that sort of caused my involvement in the cause. Um, I'm not a personal victim of police brutality. I don't have anyone in my immediate family that's been one of the trending names. Um, but as an American, as a Black man, as a parent, as an employee of corporate America, as a humanitarian, I cannot walk the streets, I cannot drive, I cannot visit any place without feeling that this country is going through an ugly part. There's, there's just, there's an underbelly that's, that's being, that's surfacing as a result of many different things. And one of the benefits that we have, you mentioned, Donald, you mentioned there's, there's individuals in corporate America who have certain seats and certain voices and the ability to say, okay, let's pledge this money. Okay, like when, when we turn on Amazon and when we turn on Netflix, we see that they are supporting Black Lives Matter and we're going to pledge this many millions to causes for social reform. There's a lot of pledging. There's a lot of we're we're concerned. There's a lot of you know essentially the the new um, thoughts and prayers. Uh, every everyone wants to be on the side of compassion. And what I started looking into about five weeks ago was okay. I'm almost forty. In my lifetime, there's been quite a few cycles of this. The the the, the country gets upset. We put together our picket signs. We put a march together, we, we pull out the bullhorns, we say we're not gonna take it anymore, we say enough. 
we say no more names. We say, uh, you know, am I next? All, all of the great photo ops, another uh, black and white photo to go on the cover of your magazine, another leading story for Fox and CNN to fight over. And then we repeat the cycle and we get right back where we started. And this one feels different you know, with, with everyone quarantined at home without a lot of other distractions, you almost had to get involved. You almost had to take notice. With the video evidence, you had to take notice. With all of the headlines, with the stretch that this, this news of, of yet another non-threatening, and it's not, I won't, come, won't, won't even put that word out there, non-threatening civilian being caused harm by a law enforcement officer. It's happening again. And the, the thought in my head is, okay, I'm raising children. If my child sees no consequence for doing something bad, it's not really going to stop them from doing something bad. There, there's, no, there's no repercussion. There's no, there's no penalty. There's no punishment. There's no, hey, you saw what happened to your sister, right? Um, law enforcement data shows, and, and data is huge in, in my effort that I'm trying to do this because for generations, there's been what you can chalk up to he said, she said. There's, there's the civilian's word against the police department's word or the law enforcement as a whole. And very rarely is a civilian's word going to stand up. But we have cameras now on the bodies of the police officers and the hands of all the civilians and corners of stores and security footage. We have, we have you know, beyond reasonable doubt, this is what happened. But still, the system, there's still a system set up that is on the side of law enforcement that essentially assures that officer will not be penalized for going beyond the line of duty, beyond the necessary amount of physical interference with a civilian. So looking at history, looking at what happened in the 60s? I'm looking at what happened in the 90s. I'm looking at what happened in 2009. Each of those instances, there was an amendment, a change to how we classify hate crimes under law. So hate crime is defined as uh, an act that is perceived based on prejudice and executed upon a person or uh, could be a building, could be an entity that is considered a protected class. We like to think of protected class as religious. You can't just attack a synagogue. You can't just attack a Muslim mosque. You can't just attack church. Very stiff penalties. They bring down the force and resources of the FBI to investigate church bombings. If there's a mass killing in the name of um, anti-blackness in the name of anti-Jew uh, sentiment, a whole nother wave of investigators, a whole nother wave of, of district attorneys, of, of attorney generals. It's not handled in the local municipality. It's not handled in the local jurisdiction. And there's a reason for it. There's th these crimes are so 
crushing to society. They're so crushing to the community. They're so crushing to humanity that we want to make sure anyone who's thinking of infliction, of inflicting this type of damage, thinks twice. You're not just going to skate. This isn't like lighting a firecracker behind the 7-Eleven. This has a stiff penalty to it. There's a higher rate of conviction. There's a longer rate of time actually served when a hate crime is applied to the act. Now, Donald, you mentioned earlier about a, a killing. A lot of the hate crime statistics, if we're looking at what's been reported, doesn't have to be murder. A lot of them end up being intimidation. If you rush up on a crowd of a different race, of a different gender, there's gender bias, there's their sexual orientation, a lot of things have been added to it over the, the century, over the decades. If you rush up on a crowd with prejudice and intent and you violate, threaten, injure, murder, maim an individual or a group, that can be considered a hate crime. So if you take these definitions, it's very easy to take away the badge and the hat and the uniform and put two individuals together. And if you kneel on someone's neck, that's of a different race than you. Or if you shoot somebody that 15 other people that look like you were around and saw it, and you guys help destroy evidence or cover up a scene, without the badges, those could be considered hate crimes. Those could have the federal resources pulled down to the local level. They're not tried by your local judges. They're not tried by your local prosecutors. Tried outside of that. So if we take just the definition of, of protecting a class, non-threatening civilians should be considered a protected class against law enforcement. Law enforcement has weapons. Law enforcement travels in packs. Law enforcement is trained. Law enforcement has the side of law and authority on their side. Too many individuals that do not know their rights, that know their rights and those rights are violated, that are, even if they are criminal, they are afforded the right to be taken into custody without being brutalized. So the initiative here is to bring the awareness of how historically society has helped amend the definition of a hate crime. That, that back in the 60s with the March on Selma, there were three days of, of violence. They, the, they were attacked. They were, the, the, the police wanted this group to stop marching. There was, there was all of this uproar. And the public opinion around those marches, when those photographers and newspapers and TV stations aired what was going on in Alabama. There was a Gallup poll in 1964 and a Gallup poll in 1965. 65 was after the march, after Bloody Sunday. That Gallup poll showed that the support for the Civil Rights Act went from 58% before the marches up to 70, I wanna say 73% after the marches. A lot more people got involved once they could see what was going on. I remember this is the 60s. This is, there's, there is no network 24-7 news cycle. You're not seeing everything going on. 
but enough was reaching the masses that they said, hey, wow, we need to pass this Civil Rights Act. We can't discriminate against people because of race. This is just, this is too much. What these people are going through in the South, even if you weren't in the South, this was a national Gallup poll. It was reaching enough of Americans where they were like, all right, I'm on the side of, of, of these Blacks that are trying to, you know, just trying to get equality, just trying to get protected. Fast forward to the 90s, 1990, there was the Church Arson Act. The times, I think there were 27, 27 churches that had been burned already by April, and they were across different states, a lot of different involvement. And one special thing about this, this public uproar for, for Congress to do something was it was hitting multiple states, but it was impacting all Christians. Religion is huge in politics. And so many people felt impacted by these images of these churches and these images of these places of worship going up in flames and being firebombed. The vote was unanimous to pass the Church Arson Act. Democrats, Republicans, all these fighting sides. Can you guys imagine in 2020 anything being unanimous? They, they will hold out. If the other side of the aisle wants something, I don't want a piece of it. So it was unanimous. 98 senators, I think it was 420 something House of Reps, all voted in favor of this church arson act. Anybody that's imposing harm on a religious building, we're treating it as a hate crime. We're bringing in the investigators. We're going to do more than just, you know, survey the scene and ask if any witnesses No, We're going door to door. We're canvassing the entire place. We're going to find out who set fire to this place and threatened this place of worship. That type of uproar, similar to the 60s, we're feeling it now. Everyone is getting involved, even across the world, you're seeing there's an uprising against racial oppression, against authority coming down on civilians. It, it's, it's bigger than race. It's, it's the, the right to feel protected in your own community. You shouldn't envision law, en law enforcement as a threat. You should have that right. And it's, it's, it's grown, it's matured. Those that grew up with the Rodney King situation, that's, that, I don't remember anything before Rodney King. I just remember as a young black man, hmm, that's kind of weird. That guy clearly is being violated, physically beat up. And none of those gentlemen involved in the beating got any kind of punishment. That one stung. I didn't realize at the time how much it stung, but it's, that's weird. Now as an adult, raising children, being forced to, to put myself in hypothetical situations, what would you do if a police officer perceived you as a threat and decided to use you as an example? I have no idea. I hope I never have to find out. But yeah, so, yeah. I, uh, I, uh... I definitely agree with uh, a lot of what you're saying. Um, sure, it, it definitely resonates, and and uh, about it being treated as a hate crime, I, I'm all for it. Uh, I mean, sure. uh, I definitely support and, and see the the impact and the perspective. And when you when you think about the cycles, and uh, 
as I get older myself, I, I realize that history just repeats itself, right? Yes. Uh, unless we break the wheel. And and I don't think that we have uh, uh, broken the, the wheel enough. Uh, but there there is something different about what's going on right now. And you commented it earlier about now we're home, you know, because of COVID, because of social distancing, things have slowed down a bit. Uh, so it's been more and more visible. And it hasn't been any uh, too much distractions. Um, but now it's... It goes back to, okay, but what are we going to do to continue the push uh, instead right. of just letting it die out and, and go off to the side? Uh, because a lot of individuals, you know, focus on the now, right? And, and the short term, you know, putting the bandaid over it instead of an actual long-term solution, which definitely consists of, of economic power for sure. But our, our most recent podcast was actually on political power, which falls right in line with this is that we have to engage in politics. Uh, we have to engage the community uh, because you mentioned about uh, canvassing and going door to door and letting people know about what, what what's really at stake uh, because we are disconnected. We're disconnected with all the different distractions that are going on and the way the, the system has created us having to be busy, right? Having to work, to pay bills. And then some individuals don't, don't make enough, so you gotta work even more. So all that time, is, is being taken away from what you can focus on, which is you know, democracy. And true democracy sure. takes takes dedication and investment, uh, but not everybody has a love and time to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with, uh, with the fact that there should be a protected class, but we don't, when I say we, um, not all law enforcement, as we've seen from the amount of deaths, uh, are really looking at, at individuals and civilians as humans. And I think that's what it goes back down to is like, hey, we are taking the lives of human beings. <laughs> Let's just start there. Like Definitely. human beings are dying by people who are supposed to be protecting certain um, Definitely. And, and I don't think that we need to focus on that. And we really don't, don't, don't start with that, regardless of any other policies, dollars, reasons, situations. Like, Let's remove all that and just start with someone lost a life. That was on American soil. Like, like, let's just simplify it and talk from there. But uh, Definitely. it doesn't necessarily go from there. And you, you touched on quite a few, you know, points that that I, I, I took all of these thoughts and all of these these efforts, you know, over the last few weeks, and I, I built a website, uh, www.visiblebully.com, and you mentioned it. You hit it on the head. The the voice that's crying out for protection is humanity. Humanity is saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm naked here. I'm, I'm vulnerable. Nothing, there's nothing out there that's, that's treating me sacred for the life of, of, of a human should be treated sacred. And it's, that's, that's the crime. It's not a, well, he was a criminal. Well, she had a record. Well, she shouldn't have resisted. It's, it's so many spins that people can put on it where the victim is not able to speak. And it's, it's, there's, there's something that can be done about it. You, you mentioned another thing about there's the, the quick fixes that go out, the, okay, this is really hot in, in media right now. We got to get something out. A lot of states, a lot of local uh, lawmakers, they put out quick band-aids and they said okay 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 what's what's what are we what can we, okay let's let's make the chokehold illegal okay we all watch enough van damme movies to know that if you want to kill somebody and you limit someone a certain 
move method to kill them, they can still die. Just taking away one method to, to cause a murder is not the solution. That's true because baby they, steps. That's like true baby steps. It's like, really? It's, that, that, that's what you want to start with? Okay, right. okay you can do better, it, y'all. <laughs> exactly. And there's, there's other cases where, and I, I know that the, the ability to pass a law is not simple. I understand that. But there's, there's, there's places out there, there's municipalities that have said, okay, what, what laws do we already have? All right, we're going to make sure that in the next wave of lawmaking, we say, enforce the law that we made before. If body cams has always been our recommendation, let's re-recommend it. And it's like, you know, just to get something passed, this, is, this shouldn't be our goal. Looking back at history again, to get the, the, the Matthew Stafford Act, that was uh, the, the latest major change to, to hate crimes, was adding sexual orientation as a protected class. There were a string of assaults against members of the LGBT community and, you know, clear anti-LGBT bias and very public, very um, sensationalized acts in the news. It took 12 years to pass the Matthew Stafford at Hate Crimes Act. It took 14 trials at, at the Congress and, and House of Reps level. One year they would have not enough votes on one side, one year they'd have enough votes in, in both houses, but it made it to the desk of a president who didn't care, didn't sign it. And it took 14 tries to make it to the president's desk. And when Obama came in office, the first thing he did, he said, definitely, let's, let's approve that. This is not an act of a flash in a pan. This is not a quick hitter. This, if, if, if this is to grow organically, it starts with having society connect to the humanized side of things, the humanitarian side of things. This is, this is protecting our society from the small, I will say it, the small percent of bad actors in law enforcement. One thing about a lot of these amendments on the hate crime acts, they had the support of law enforcement. Law enforcement saw the benefit in these extra resources coming from the federal level. It helped them, helped them solve cases. If your law enforcement if in, in Chicago, Chicago's cops that are accused of any uh, wrongdoing, any misconduct, when they're sued civilly, that's financially. When someone comes after a financial gain from a police officer involved uh, brutality, the city of Chicago pays. That police officer doesn't personally pay. The police department doesn't lose any of their budgeted money. The city of Chicago paid. 2018, the city of Chicago paid close to $900 million in fees and settlements and legal fees and the other, the, the, uh, legal fees of the accuser, $900 million that we don't have in our budget. There's all these different aspects where law enforcement should be on the side of getting rid of these bad actors, of penalizing these bad actors to the point where those that join, knowing that they're trigger happy, knowing that they might have a tendency to cross that line, throw an extra jab, put a knee to this guy who's wearing handcuffs, smack her head against the wall if no one's looking. Those bad actors, we all know them. We know the guys that if we get into a fight, you got to keep an eye on Ricky. 
Ricky doesn't know when to stop. Nothing wrong with it in the fight. Fair fight, that's fine. But when you put the badge on and this person is non-threatening, there's no weapon, there's no weapon brandished, I should say. A lot of the statistics will define a victim of a of a police killing if there is a weapon on the person. That could be a concealing carry. That can be the person had a gun in the glove box during a traffic stop. If they have a weapon on them, the statistics will list them as armed, which is misleading in itself. So my my push is to say non-threatening. If that person had a legal weapon on them but was not holding it, was not threatening, warning, brandishing it, and they were inflicted bodily harm or intimidation, then that police officer should be charged with a hate crime. And this is the first time I've presented it to an audience in, in Texas. Um, I've, had a, I've, I've talked to a group in Albany, New York. I've done some talking in Chicago. And um, I just hope word of mouth uh, about the website, visiblebully.com. I built a quick pit Twitter page, but I am not Twitter savvy and no one's retweeted me yet. Um, so right now it's just spreading information, you know? So I'll go ahead and I'll make sure to, uh, to retweet that. Uh, but I got to talk a couple of things. So sure. the first is government is slow. 14 years, that is unacceptable. Yeah. Like if I, if I was working on any project for any corporation that took me, you said it was 14 years, 14 years, it's it like, was 12, it was, it was 12. 12 years, but 14 sessions of Congress. Okay, there you go. 12 years, 14 sessions, still too long. Uh, yeah. Only only if, right, and this is just my dream one day, so I, I hope this happens. I'm, I'm one day going to most likely fight for this to happen. I, I got to see how. But why can't we all just be able to log on to our system, go to any website, you know, yeah, the federal government website, have your username logged in, you know, however security measures, you know, we need whichever one. Uh, and we just all vote on laws. Like, I, I, would that be so hard for me, to, for, for, for me to go to my computer and say, let me see, what did Donald vote on today? Oh, Donald approved that. He proved that. Okay, I like his vote. All right, cool. Like, like why can't we all be so transparent? Because 12 years, that, that takes too long. And this is how we, we leverage technology uh, inside different industries. So, like, you know, I, I love technology. That's what we do with the organization. Shout out for Autumn, Austin Urban Technology Movement, um, as always. Uh, but... But if we really engage and leverage technology and make uh, make it easier for our community to be more engaged, uh, then I would assume <laughs> that it will speed up the process. Um, we'll get more individuals sure. involved in that. And that's, to me, is what a true democracy is. Um, it's like saying, hey, you know, this is of, of an urgency. This is something that makes sense. This is something that's, that's important and that's relevant. Uh, let's really get you know, individuals involved. Uh, but, so right? it's it. It's interesting you you take it there. So on on the website there is a um, there's a tab of of taking action, and it's it's similar to that, but it's the closest we have to getting in the face of those who make the laws. Every state's got an attorney general. Every state's got its senators. Every state's got its uh, house of reps. And I provide links to those government sites where you can contact your attorney general, and I have a template letter that you can write in support of this. From what I've seen, that is the closest of being able to, like you said, rush and say, hey, look, 
a lot of us support this is being able to call or email or send a uh, written letter. You know, that's how behind the times we are. They have physical addresses where you can write a letter and post it um, to let your representatives know you are in favor of this litigation, of this uh, legislation, I should say. Um, it's, it's, it's not a quick process. It's, it's a lot of times these pushes have a strong monetary backing. They have a uh, celebrity pushing. They have uh, the, the judges and they, they, they really have to reach the right people. But rarely has it been a case where everyone is fighting for this, where everyone's getting behind it, because it's not just protecting Blacks. It's not just protecting victims of rape. It's not just protecting, you know, people that can easily say, oh, that's never happened to me. And one of the things I'm working on is incorporating just the, the, the umbrella that hate crimes protects. It protects religion. There's there's 20% of the, well, well, let me back that up. Only 2,000 law enforcement agencies are actually reporting their hate crime statistics mm-hmm. to the federal government. 2,000 out of 16,000 individual law enforcement agencies. They are suggested to report them, but we only get about one out of every eight law enforcement agencies around the country send their numbers to the Department of Justice in, in DC. And with those numbers, they're made public. All of this is accessible. And I'm, I'm playing with the data, I'm a data guy. Looking through 2018 statistics, 20% of the hate crimes against people of religion were against Catholics. And if you throw a rock in certain neighborhoods in Chicago, you can't throw a rock far enough to not hit a Catholic. They're, they have a strong presence in the in the in the country. I want to say twenty percent of the U.S. is, is Catholic, if I'm remembering my numbers right. So, actually, I read that wrong. Twenty-two percent of the population is Catholic. Three, four percent of the religious-based offenses were against Catholics. So, of those four percent, small amounts, about fifteen hundred, that were reported, the Hate Crime Act protects Catholics. If you can relate to that, if you are Catholic. You should be behind this. It's supporting protection of your religion. Same things with Jews, same thing with um, sex offenses, the same thing with if you can relate to, to Asian Americans being you know, targeted because of their race. If you're Asian American, the Hate Crime Act has protected someone you care about. It's a humanitarian act. Everybody in this protected bubble gets the protection that they deserve. And when yeah. we look at what law enforcement is doing and the ability and the intimidation and the, the bullying that they're doing, I think this can grow and, and get people's hearts to realize like this is something that they want to back. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Donald, you've been quiet. What, what's your, what's on your, what's on your mind? What are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, you know, um, I'm thinking as, as we, as we talk with our organizations, about what we want them to back, right? A lot of it has tended toward the pipeline, right? It, you know, I've talked with you about, about using Autumn as a way to um, get more people of color into Avanade, for example. But we know that Amazon, Google, LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, everybody's talking about how do we support Nesby? How do we support uh, the ACLU? How do we support the NCAA? Uh, 
the NAACP. Uh, uh, but, and then every now and then there's somebody that says, what about a social justice concept? I think that if we, and I'm, I'm gonna run this past the group, right? Uh, if we also take a step forward and say to, uh, to Microsoft, for example, uh, Microsoft will support this act. Or, or, you know, we saw in the news that Princeton was supporting the dream, uh, the, the dreamers, right? And they made a big, a, a big market um, verbal uh, push, right? For this concept that they feel is important as it relates to trying to move the people and more specifically the people in power i think that inside of this space where companies are willing to listen to their employees about what's important one thing that would be important so that we never have to have this conversation again is something like uh the the what is it the isaiah doe act right yeah so uh, and just to, to explain that real quick. So the concept of never having to have this conversation again, that's, that's kind of how my, my brainstorming started, um, raising a five and a seven-year-old daughter. And my, my seven-year-old, she's used to seeing me around the house, around the community, around her school, and, and I'm fixing things. I'm, I'm putting my attention towards things that I want to see improved, that, that, I, that you can physically see are broken. There's a broken toilet, there's a broken light bulb, this chair doesn't work, needs to be screwed in, that table leg broke. She knows that I walk around and I'll put things on my to-do list and that, that I'll get it done eventually when I get the time. So Otis is seven. I haven't explained to her yet what's going on with race relations in the country what the protests are about, what the violence is about, what the outrage is about. Turn the news when she comes in, turn it off. Uh, I keep her sheltered from it. I just want her to enjoy her spring and her summer away from her friends and, and quarantine time. The reason I'm not ready to explain it is because from what she knows of her father, I'm a fix-it guy, I'm a solutions guy. And if I explain to her about this injustice, First thing she's going to ask is, you know, well, how are you going to fix it? Are you, are you, is it on your to-do list? Is it, you know, how, how long is this going to be happening? And if I have to explain to her, it's been happening for the history of the country. Like, it, it hasn't been fixed. And she just won't understand how something can be broken and, and not be on someone's fix-it list. So I said, you know, put, put, put it on my fix-it list. Let me see what I can do about it. And as I'm going through ways to, to try to bundle it up, we know the names, we know the Trayvons, we know all the hashtags. They, they, they just keep adding up. Um, we shouldn't, there shouldn't be another trending name. There shouldn't be another household name. There shouldn't be a name for next summer. There shouldn't be a name for the winter. There shouldn't be the Arizona name. There shouldn't be the Minnesota name. We shouldn't know anyone's name. So I. I took John Doe and Jane Doe, our quintessential anonymous, happy-go-lucky mom and dad. They had a baby named Isaiah Doe. Isaiah Doe is two years old right now. And the Isaiah Doe Act is what I'm packaging this as 
so that by the time Isaiah Doe is an adult, there is no concept of American law enforcement attacking non-threatening civilians because it's in the past. It's something we used to allow. It's something we used to see. It's something as, as ancient as, you know, you used to be able to spank your kid in school. You used to be able to knock your wife upside the head and everyone would say, good job, silence that woman. <laughs> there's certain things that we look at now that's just like, no, man, that's, that's not cool. And if we put these grassroots in, if we, if we water and nurture them and, and get them to the point where it's going to take some years. Isaiah's two right now. Isaiah Doe is, doesn't know what's going on, and he's having to even have his first playground fight. But by the time Isaiah Doe is walking down the street with Skittles or unfortunate enough to be in the wrong group of kids in Central Park or just, just get spotted, being in the wrong place by the person that has hate in their heart. That person might think twice and say, okay, I, I got more of a penalty if I try to attack that person. So that's, that's where the idea, Isaiah Doe reference comes from. And it's, it's, it represents humanity. It's not singling out a single group, it's not singling out a single, even gender. I mean, this is to protect everybody. Um, and was that on, and is that on your website? Yeah, that's on the website. If you Google Isaiah Doe Act, it'll pop up. And that's that. That's how it's being bundled right now. Um, so, definitely a, a just a tribute to humanity, and, and just trying to just plant that seed that this. I've, I was talking to somebody, and they said, "So, it's not a sprint; it's a it's a marathon." Mm-hmm. And and I I said, you know what? It's not even a marathon; it's a relay marathon. Because if you talk to older people, if you talk to people in older generations, they've seen progress. And they hang their head in shame because they want to see that progress continue. They want to see just equality. They 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 they, they don't want to speak about it. They don't want to get mad anymore. They don't want to they don't want to get enraged anymore. They just want the equality. So, if we're fighting individuals who want equality, but we're not fighting the system, then we're we're just going to keep repeating the cycle. And on that note, we're going to close out of Culture Crawl ATX podcast. We thank you so much for listening. And we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.